Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Every day I'm on social media reading lots of great content from the autistic community. And there really are so many great autistic social media accounts to follow. One in particular that I've really enjoyed is the Neurodiversely Unbroken Facebook page. On today's episode of Autism Stories, the creator of that page, Kirsty Clark, joins me to discuss why Neurodiversely Unbroken has grown so many followers and why so many autistic people have found it to be helpful in their lives. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Kirsty, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to start off like I do with uh, each episode of Autism Stories and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? Okay, well, it didn't officially start until my son's diagnosis. He had a late diagnosis at around the age of eight. And upon researching and talking to professionals, I began to realise that, hang on, uh, this is me as well. I'd actually had a misdiagnosis of bipolar type 2 because I'd had postnatal depression that hadn't lifted. But upon working with the professionals and, and doing my own research and looking at the female presentation of autism, I, I, I realised, yes, that was me. And then it triggered a lot of memories uh, from childhood. And I do remember, I do recall our family GP saying to my mother he thought I had autism. Uh, he referred to me with, uh, with the R word because I actually wasn't speaking. I was actually quite mute as a child. And also my year nine his, uh, English teacher had told my parents he thought I had autism So because a classmate had been diagnosed. So, yes, it started at age, uh, my son's age eight. And, of course, due to there not being a co-occurring uh, intellectual disability, he was in the mainstream educational system, which is very hard to get funding through and, and support. There's, there's not a lot of accommodations and understanding. So I, we needed to homeschool there for a little while and that, that actually triggered uh, my stance in advocacy. You know, I joined a parent group and we tried to advocate um, for an autism-specific school for mainstream students and we were uh, rallying government for quite a few years there. Uh, we didn't really get anywhere, but we did raise the profile of, of the problem of autism within the mainstream system. Anyway, so I've been uh, busily raising children and had at times 
talked to different professionals who were working with my son around broaching uh, an autism diagnosis for myself and they actually laughed and said, oh, well, you've got children, you can work, you... No, 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 that doesn't fit you. No, no, no. And it wasn't until the age of 42 that I finally was diagnosed uh, autism, level two, and also PTSD. I've got complex PTSD, Um, uh, but also ADHD. And the ADHD meds have, have certainly helped a lot also. But I only was able to get the diagnosis because I was recommended a female clinical psychologist in Melbourne who had been mentored by Tony Atwood and she'd done her PhD specifically in uh, female autism. And she was fantastic. She was fantastic. Very thorough, but, but fantastic and very understanding, very empathetic. And I cried. I, I couldn't believe I'd finally got the diagnosis that I'd been needing and wanting. Yeah, because I've struggled through for many years, uh, masking, and um, unfortunately, because I'm hyperverbal, it masks the level of disability I have in certain areas. You're the founder of the Neurodiversely Unbroken Facebook page, which started in uh, 2020, I believe. What? Yep. For those that haven't been to your wonderful page, um, can you share a little bit what it's what it's about? Um, you know, if, when when they come and visit, and uh, why it was so important for you to uh, start this Facebook page? Well, initially, I started the Facebook page because I was grappling. At Uh, with those around me not understanding uh, the diagnosis and also invalidating the diagnosis and also invalidating my need for certain supports and accommodations. And I was frustrated that even in the sector that I worked in, the disability sector, at the level of ignorance uh, and misinformed stereotypes that were still being perpetuated so I just decided no enough's enough <laughs> and you know I, I, I thought I've got so much to give um, but it also needs to be that one step removed as well because I can get a bit intense about it <laughs> and this way I am providing information uh, and knowledge and people can take it or leave it and I'm not actually being engaged in in that so I'm not getting intense over it um, but it was also a cathartic way for me to process what I was going through I was shocked uh, at the amount of grief my diagnosis actually elicited and but it also has provided me a way to uh, look back on my life in hindsight and the website also has helped me find my tribe because I felt like an alien in this world. And the reason I worked in disability, specifically in autism, was so I could be with my neurokin because I find them the most delightful people to be with. They understand me and I understand them. And I had actually had a, a, a participant say to me, you're just like me. 
um, uh, we can we can uh, identify our neurokin. So I burnt out and I needed to leave my work, and so the website was also a way to uh, engage the community, so I could still be, you know, I could find my own tribe outside of work. And and you mentioned your tribe, uh, and I think last I saw when I went to the Facebook page, there was over 30,000 followers on the page, which is super impressive. What do you think about um, Neurodiversely Unbroken that has connected with so many people on that page? Uh, Just the struggle. Uh, I try and share a lot of humour as well, uh, so it's not all serious. But uh, regulation techniques, I share potential underlying functions driving behaviour. Uh, I think what I'm hearing a lot from the community community is how uh, disenfranchised they're feeling and how... Um, they're, they're tired of having to validate their, their very experience and life and, and you know, differences. And so they're feeling like this is a safe place where they can all come together and they share, they do share their insights and their experiences and their opinions. Um, and now I'm having a lot more followers actually emailing me with things that they found and I'm hoping uh, eventually, after you know, because I share it for them, that eventually they will find the courage to actually post it themselves directly to the page. But, yeah, it's a, it's a community and I, I try and be as inclusive of, of everyone as I can, all different sectors and groups. And, yeah, there's a lot of parents out there with children in mainstream that are not being understood and they're feeling uh, isolated due to uh, their support networks not understanding and and potentially gaslighting them as well as the, the, the teachers and support staff within, you know, the education setting. So they're getting uh, understanding from me. I mean, I do have a lot of followers uh, private message me. And I welcome that. I, I may not get to it straight away, but, you know, they've, they've said, especially during uh, COVID, it, it's given them a lifeline, which I find incredibly humbling. Uh, the people in the community are amazing. Now, you, you mentioned on Neurodiversely Unbroken about a special interest of yours that I'm really interested in learning uh, more about, and that is polyvagal theory. Yes. <laughs> so, so tell tell our listeners maybe that might not be aware what is polyvagal theory and why do you think that it's become a special interest of yours? Okay. <laughs> well, polyvagal theory it's uh, it's was coined by uh, Stephen Porges, and it's a collection of uh, evolutionary, neuroscientific, and psychological theories um, pertaining to the role of the vagus nerve in emotion and physiological regulation and it has to do with the fearest response and neuroception the way that we perceive uh, situations and people uh, and safety uh, and so initially I stumbled across this because I was working in trauma 
as well as disability. And a lot of all of this theory resonated with me and I thought this actually gives me language for the way I intrinsically uh, work, have worked with my son uh, and work with uh, other um, participants. It's about the autonomic uh, nervous system uh, and the vagus nerve. So if we hack the, the vagus nerve, we can potentially calm the nervous system. And we, they, they estimate between 50 to 80% of autistics having sensory processing issues and it has been um, supported in, in a few research papers I've been reading that what autistics have been saying for years is that the central nervous system is a huge part. It's actually the basis around which all the other systems are, will work. And so if there's sensory dysfunction, then that will elicit uh, meltdowns and shutdowns and, uh, of course, impedes functionality. So um, by stimulating the vagus nerve, you can potentially uh, send a message to your body to relax. So it's about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, the sympathetic ner nervous system is the, is the meltdown response. It's the, the response to the fear response. It's the fight or flight response. And for autistics who have who are sensory defensive and who are sensitive to their environment, the brain becomes inundated with sensory information that that they have. Uh, difficulty processing which will compound and then cause a meltdown but of course that can be cumulative it can take days for the meltdown to occur or it can take you know minutes or hours depending on the environmental triggers so the parasympathetic nervous system is uh that there's two parts to that that's the ventral vagal system which is the calm and grounded and the dorsal vagal which is the shutdown freeze response the immobility or disassociation autistics with horrendous sensory sensitivities actually do they, they can't cope and of course we do uh, experience sensory trauma and trauma is known to elicit the dis disassociation response um, so polyvagal theory basically helps us understand that both branches of the vagus nerve calm the body um, but do so in different ways the main component of the parasympathetic nervous system regulates bodily functions, mood, immunity, digestion and heart rate and the sympathetic nervous system directs the body's involuntary responses to perceived danger or threat and that comes back to that neuroception that I was talking about. So it releases a flood of hormones that are secreted to boost the body's alertness and heart rate. So after the autonomic nervous system receives information, uh, it can be either motor or sensory, it responds to that usually through the sympathetic division, which is the fight or flight. And so if, if autistics are in environments that they can't escape from and that fight or flight is triggered, sensory anxiety accrues, 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 accrues uh, until there is either a meltdown, a shutdown or both. So basically how, you know, that pertains to autistic people is that 
Well, I believe, and I have read in many research papers, that it's now believed that uh, autistics have heightened neuroception, and that can include relational safety as well. So that comes into the attachment theory as well and how we attach uh, to others and how safe we feel with others. Um, And there's so many different levels of safety, but there's environmental safety. Um, from sensory inundation, there's relational safety, how safe we feel with the people we're around. So all of that impacts um, autistics and how they function in environments and how well they can learn and how well they can regulate. And so upon reading uh, Hacking the, the, the Vagus Nerve and how to calm and ground yourself, I've also been able to relate that um to autistic people, so a lot of the a lot of the, uh, the polyvagal grounding techniques I've all also used in my practice successfully, even with uh, those deemed with high behaviours of concern, which I hate that term. I wish they'd called it behaviours of distress because that's what it really is, or behaviours of accrued trauma because that's what it uh, definitely is. And this is actually why I'm so opposed to ABA as well, because, it, 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 you know, they're trained to stay in these environments and not flee like their, their nervous system is telling them to. And then it, it, but they end up having huge behaviours, which they're then demonised for as well, because it's seen as poor behaviour or they're choosing to do it. So I'm hoping by putting forward, you know, linking the polyvagal theory in it, it will potentially change how autistics are supported in in environments. Um, because meltdowns and shutdowns, uh, they're traumatic. They're, they're serious brain events. They really are. And they're, they're, they're traumatic and that trauma compounds as well. And it, it affects all areas of our life from communication uh, through to participation. And, and also being understood. So to calm the vagus nerve through sensory seeking or avoiding, you know, uh, sensory input, um, it depends on your hypoarousal or your hyperarousal. Hyperarousal is your flighty, the fight or flight response. The hypoarousal is the shutdown, disassociation response. So polyvagal techniques that I personally use and have implemented in my practice is cold exposure. Uh, I get them to suck on an icy pole or chew ice blocks. I chew ice blocks. I have cold showers. Uh, I also have a foot bath that I put marbles in and I put icy cold water in. And so the marbles actually stimulate all pressure points in the feet, which, which with somatic sensory sensing uh, will actually help regulate as well. But but the, the dip in temperature brings it, it, it's a shock, it's a jolt to the sensory system. It brings you right down really quickly. And I found that that's the most effective way, uh, apart from anxiety medication, uh, to bring myself down really quickly so I don't have big, massive meltdown. Because when I have big, massive meltdowns, I have self-injurious behaviours. I hit my joints to, you know, get that sensory release and the sensory input. I've sprained my ankle doing that, hitting my knee and, you know, falling out. So I prefer not to have meltdowns as, as uh, you know, because they are very traumatic. Um, so a cold shower works really well. Uh, to hack the vagal nerve, the deep 
deeps and slow belly breathing, that will mentally ground you. Meditation will mentally ground you, but it won't physiologically ground you. That's the two, that's that's where it relates more to autistics. We're looking for that physiological grounding because it's the brain's unconscious response to the sensory stimuli and you've got a traffic jam going on up in there. Exercise, massage. I've even heard people use TENS machines to hack their mm. vagal nerve. Um, and also music is amazing. Music, binaural beats. Uh, so the rhythmic, um, it's usually two sounds in a rhythm make uh, sound and it's, it's it's repetitive and I use that with my galaxy light projector um, as well as the darkness and my aromatherapy oil burner uh, so it's a whole sensory uh, experience to to actually bring myself down oh, one of the one of the things that I've been so impressed is how you find such great information that you share with everyone. You know, I think I'm every day that I find so much information, but I, I, I feel like you far exceed me. So I was just curious, like, how do you find all, all of this great information and education that you share on your page? Oh, look, uh, when, you know, some of this information I've held for years and years and years, when things are perhaps going awry with your children, you investigate like an FBI (laughs) (laughs) officer. (laughs) Um, But also in helping my son, I've helped myself immensely. And But also I've had all of my own theories going on up in here through, you know, that I've devised through my own work in the disability sector and also uh, with my son. And so I'm always seeking uh, validation, if you like, for what I'm thinking and um, uh, I I usually find it. It, It's out on the internet, uh, the interwebs, and uh, because it's my special part of my special interest right. and now I'm not working <laughs> I just yeah lots of screen time lots of lots of investigation <laughs> so and there's there's also just so many fabulous amazing autistic advocates out there who are sharing exactly the same sorts of information that I am. So I share what they're sharing as well because, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel if it's already out there. And, you know, special interest for me is in psychology and so I'm always watching videos or reading about that to just further my my knowledge and also that dopamine seeking for me it gives me the happy chemicals and you know gives my life meaning and it makes me happy so that's where all of the the information comes from and then I just like sharing my personal insights and that's really resonated with a lot of people they're saying wow you know uh that's exactly my experience but I couldn't articulate it and so I've actually had people messaging me saying they're now saving the information I share and especially the memes that I'm creating. They're saving that and showing their therapist and saying, here, this is me. Here, this is what I meant. (laughs) So it's giving them a voice to their experience. Yeah. It it is very important for a lot of autistic folks to educate their therapists. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Look, there's some amazing therapists out there. 
but I'm finding more and more, and I don't want to vilify uh, therapists because they're so busy. They, they really are. They're so mm. busy. We've got to fast-track the way we're getting the newest information to everyone, really. Uh, but I'm finding, you know, general consensus from most people is that, uh, that therapists' understanding of, of autism is locked very much in the 80s or with the Rain Man stereotype, so, which is also why, you know, we're, we're lobbying to try and get rid of the, the functioning labels because that creates a bias and engenders bias in people. I've had lots of people say to me, you know, you're extremely high functioning, you know, and then that elicits in them that there's no struggle at all. But I think they'd be surprised at the level of underlying disability I have in a lot of areas and basically... You know, I go to work and come home and why I was so successful at my work with my participants is because I'm autistic and they're autistic and I was co-regulating with them and I was modulating environments with them and I was teaching regulation strategies. I was supporting regulation strategies and I was respecting their autonomy also, which when there's an intellectual disability doesn't always happen <laughs> um unfortunately so talk, talking about some of the things that you've uh, shared on uh, neurodiversely unbroken about a month ago you posted an image about ableist larry and uh, whole body <laughs> listening <laughs> can you talk a oh, little yeah. bit about ableist larry and how autistic folks listen with their whole body that i think in many cases um isn't recognized it's not recognised. We actually listen better through stimming. And this is also another reason why I'm so anti-ABA because they're, they're looking to cease the stimming behaviours, the ticks and the hand flapping and the rocking. That all actually helps us, assists us to process and to listen. But sensory issues, people would be surprised at what we observe in our environment, even down to dust particles, they can, on windy days, that drives me nuts, is the dust particles. It's like orbs everywhere. Um, and people say, I don't see anything. But it's because we're so sensitive to our environment that we do listen with our whole body. And that comes back to even somatic experiencing, the sensory experience uh, through the skin, you know, sensing our environment. All of the senses are interconnected. And so if there's one uh, sense that's overwhelmed, then it potentially overwhelms all. And so we can't block out anything. Uh, you know, I, I hear this incessant hum in fluorescent lights well, as well as they scorch my eyeballs. They deafen me and it, it's, uh, it drives me nuts. I, I can't function. I can't hear. I can't concentrate because that predominantly is in the background overriding everything else. Uh, even sensory inputs, if we're feeling uncomfortable in chairs, that can become the predominant uh, way that we're hearing 
and so we won't be able to process anything else. And the sensory systems impact and directly uh, affect our processing systems, our visual processing, our auditory processing, our cognitive functioning. And, you know, you hear people say about this delayed processing, but I actually, the delay is actually us processing. <laughs> uh, for me, I've got a constant visual, you know, uh, screen running in my, my head like a, a, a video. And so when people are talking to me, I'm constantly processing what they're saying um, into a visual because that's how, that's how I hear. That's how yeah, I, I hear with both my ears and my eyes. So, yeah, that's why I share things like Ableist Larry to try and shift the narrative to, you know, neurotypical is not the only way to live and our stims and our ticks and our movements, all of that is part of our communication, is part of our expression, but it's also part of our listening. We need that. We need that input. Uh, I've come to the realisation that I have, I read it the other day, somatic dyspraxia and I need constant uh, pressure uh, sensory input to be able to process anything else and um, and that comes down to movement as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really important. Hmm. And sometimes I share things like that that may seem offensive to jolt people, to get their attention. To, to, to start a discussion, to change the narrative, to get them asking questions because people, I find predominantly with cognitive dissonance, it, it, it takes a shock like that sometimes uh, and lots of shocks sometimes to and in controversy to get them to challenge their belief systems, challenge what they've always thought they've known. Something else recently that I saw you write about what that was of interest to me was, well, many things, but this one where you were talking about autistic spending time on the internet or screen time, you know, sometimes to the point that their neurotypical loved ones uh, may call this a, a quote unquote addiction. What would you say to neurotypicals about why maybe more screen time than they would prefer their loved ones to have may be so important to their autistic son, daughter, uh, brother, sister, or, you know, partner? Primarily for regulation. It's a debrief. It's a de-stress. I know for myself, I um, use screen time. I have screen time breaks. Well, I'm implementing screen time breaks into my sensory diet. I've been using it a lot more than I usually would because I'm in burnout. To start off with, it's a, it's a um, dopamine-inducing activity. So dopamine's a happy chemical in the brain. I play internet games on it. So a lot of the games I play are repetitious, uh, routine. It's known what what my expectations are. It's mindless. It's mindless. So it's like a white noise for my eyes, um, and it, it helps to bring the activity, uh, calm the activity that's in in the brain right down. After we've come home from these high sensory environments that we've tried to cope with all day, we come home with high levels of uh, sensory 
anxiety and, you know, anxiety around communication and, and also our processing systems are caught. We're exhausted. But we need to be doing something, engaging in, in an activity that we find enjoyable but that actually also uh, lifts our brain up, gives it that hit of the happy, the happy chemicals, replenishes that because it's deplenished, you know, it, it degenerates during the day. And that's why it's, it's, it's so important. And a lot of the time uh, it, it's part of our special interests. We can find our special interests on uh, the iPad, and and that's also um, engaging in our special interest uh, increases dopamine level, and it also it it, it helps us to um, you know rejig all of our systems in a quiet way after a really hairy day. For so many autistics, um, you know, sleep is can be a big challenge. Yeah, uh, and, and something you recently mentioned on your Facebook page was the laser stars projector, which after looking at it up looks really cool. It's a sensory light yeah. system you have that has helped you with sleeping. For those that um, might struggle with insomnia, um, how, is, how has this helped you? Well, this is amazing, and I will say we have the NDIS here in Australia, which helps fund um, equipment for disability-related issues. So I'm so thankful to, to the NDIA for funding this for me because I couldn't have afforded it otherwise. This is amazing. I watch it at night, doing my belly breathing, have the aromatherapy going, but I also listen to, I've got these rain sounds with Zen music going in the background. So it's, it's again, it's a whole sensory experience, and I can't sleep in quiet because then I hear noises outside the house. <laughs> I'd rather have the central, it's like a central sensory focal point really. So when I wake up now during the night, instead of laying there replaying events from the day, that terrible, awkward conversation there, I was misunderstood with that, didn't like how my boss did that. Instead of replaying all of those events or potentially getting up and watching tv which is going to stimulate my brain which is not what i want <laughs> i lay there and i just focus on the lights and the swirly patterns and again i'll have my music going and it actually helps lull me back to sleep now i this is amazing for me i am having the best sleep of my life and it's because i've always had insomnia always so, you know, I'm also having the best sleep of my life because I, I'm, you know, following a low arousal sensory diet as well and I'm not working at the moment. So I'm just, uh, you know, staying at home a lot. But even on the days when I go out, like yesterday, I went, went out with my cousin to the shops and there was people everywhere and there was fluorescent lighting and it, uh, it was echoey and it, uh, it was, you know, I had a great time with her. Came home though, and Bernie brain and brain thumping like it's going to burst out of my skull. And I put the lights on for two hours, and I would rather utilize this than take an anxiety medication to, to numb my head. I prefer not to take tablets 
if if I can avoid it. So I laid there for two hours listening to my rain sounds, watching the galaxy and, and just playing my games on my iPad. And this, of course, is after I've had my cold shower. But so doing all of this, I averted having a big meltdown where I potentially would have harmed myself through, you know, hitting my joints or, you know, I scream and I lose my voice. <laughs> lots lots of different things. So, you know, it, it, it averted a big meltdown yesterday and then I was able to sleep through last night. Usually after, you know, I've had such activity and my brain is hyper aroused and I'm go, 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 go. You can't, you can't sleep. You don't sleep well. So the amount I'm sleeping at night and the quality of the sleep has improved dramatically, which, of course, impacts all areas of your life in a positive way. Absolutely. I always say if you, can, if you do not get a good night's sleep, you're just screwed the next day or the day after oh, that. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Don't <come near> me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Kirsty, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for making time to uh, talk with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Kirsty for the conversation. To learn more about the Neurodiversely Unbroken Facebook page, check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. If you'd like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things that you want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we definitely suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation about older autistic adults with Eric Unlich. Until then, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.